Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and with me, I have Yashar Amatpour, and uh, he is the CEO of CrowdClock. CrowdClock is a tool for setting appointments with service providers like beauty shops, doctor's offices, mechanics, um, real, realtors, and, and any kind of business that needs to set appointments. Welcome. Thank you, George. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for being here, Yashar. I want to get into CrowdClock, but before we do that, I want to ask you about your first venture, Videonary, uh, that you started or co-started back in 2005. Uh, can can you tell our audience what that business was about and what happened to that business? Sure. So Vidinary.com uh, came to exist because uh, one of my co-founders and college buddies, his uh, grandmother had passed away and he was looking for a funeral home service. And in the quest of looking for that, you know, he came to the epiphany of, you know, this is silly. Why should I have to read it about on a list when I could be seeing it, you know, visually? And so the first idea was, you know, uh, that he could create a DVD format uh, for different uh, service providers. And then soon after, myself and another buddy of mine, we got involved uh, and uh, we brought it to the point where uh, Videonary actually became kind of like a video yellow pages. And the existence, you know, for for craft, I mean, for Videonary was because we felt that Yellow Pages you know, and subjective editorials at the time were not doing justice to the businesses that people wanted to visit. And so that's how Videonary, I mean, uh, Videonary came to exist. Okay. We ran it for uh, a few years. Uh, we raised funds from friends and family. And uh, in 2008, uh, when we were going up to you know, Palo Alto and Menlo Park to uh, receive funding, um, those uh, offers got uh, pulled back. And when we started seeing the first signs of the recession. So, you know, like many other startups, uh, that didn't go through as, as we had anticipated and, and planned. So we had to make a decision, you know, do we continue with Vidinary? And, and we tried to continue with it for as long as we could. Uh, but eventually, you know, racking up credit card bills, we kind of had to pull away and uh, get real jobs, so to speak. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's a very very important thing for people to to remember. Uh, you know, it it you know I don't even want to say it's a failure because I don't consider it a failure. It's just part of being an entrepreneur. What was it? What did it feel like when that happened and you had to get a job? Did you feel like a complete loser or you just said, you know what? This is this is just part of life and uh, we you know we're going forward. How how did you feel then? Well, at the at that moment, uh, of course, you you don't feel good about it. But uh, I don't think at any point I felt like a loser. Uh, in fact, what I felt was, um, what can I do differently next time? What is it that I should have done this time uh, that I should do next time? And so, really, that that's that's always been my attitude. You know, uh, I always look at life as when you fall down uh, or you get knocked down. It's not a question of how you know uh, whether you stay down or, or or you feel like someone is pushing you down, but it's really about how you get up and how quick you can get up. So, because I think it's very important for for me that my audience understands that this is really just part of life, and and it's not it's not something about as a person you being a failure, but it's more about just part of the journey. Now, getting and and starting. 
and formulating CrowdClock. And we're going to get into what CrowdClock is in a minute. But your next venture, how long did it take for you to say, yeah, I'm ready to do something else now? Well, um, that, that feeling of I'm ready to do something else is something that was in my mind from the very beginning. Uh, but, you know, I was listening to the radio the other day and, and I heard something interesting about uh, one of the Beatles singers and uh, Paul McCartney. And he doesn't know how to read uh, or write notes. And one of the reasons that he gave was if a song gets stuck in my mind that I want to write, that means that's a good song. And so it's the same thing uh, with my mind. You know, I was ready, but the question was, had a good idea popped into my head yet or not? Because between Videonary and Crowdlock, a million different ideas came to my head, but none of them, in my opinion, were sticky enough to actually be worthy of pursuit. So then you went on to, um, to start Crowdclock. Uh, before we say anything else, to an audience, can you briefly describe what Crowdclock is, what service it provides? Sure. Uh, the best and easiest way to describe Crowdlock is, for those of you who are uh, familiar with Open Table uh, for restaurant reservation, Crowdlock is essentially uh, an Open Table solution for service providers. Uh, but unlike uh, Open Table, business owners don't have to invest in hardware that needs to be put in place into the restaurant uh, because Crowdlock is entirely cloud-based and it is platform agnostic, which means that it can exist in any form and other companies or app developers can actually take our APIs and build on top of it. Okay. And how many businesses are using Crowd? And when, when did you, what year did you start Crowdlock? Well, we initially started Crowdlock in 2012, and it went through a lot of different iterations, you know. Um, and, you know, I was doing some consulting work on the side. But really what you see now started uh, in uh, August or September of 2013, actually. Uh, that's when the, the existing plot, uh, the existing uh, code base that you see that uh, that we built. Okay. And how many businesses are using CrowdClock today? Now, right now, we've signed up uh, almost 100 businesses by ourselves. We have an additional uh, few hundred that we have through partnerships. And one of the things that uh, we've changed a little bit in our strategy is instead of approaching SMBs directly, we actually make deals with enterprise customers or we do strategic partnerships that gives us access to SMBs indirectly because it's a much more uh, fruitful endeavor to uh, undertake that way. So would that be like maybe a fresh book, partnering with a fresh book, uh, somebody that you know already has uh, some of the customers that you're looking for or is it something else? No, absolutely. FreshBooks would in fact be a great uh, potential partner for CraftClaw. Okay, okay. And uh, roughly give us an idea how many appointments uh, per month is set with CrowdClock today? Well, right now uh, the number is not very high, and that's because uh, we're in the process of implementing the uh, widget into each and every one of these SMBs. And uh, a widget is actually the functionality of CrowdClock that exists on, on their websites. And one of the reasons why that's critical for us is because we are not going to be spending any marketing dollars to, to try to convince users to download the app to make those appointments. But rather, we want to piggyback off of the efforts that those businesses have done so far to, to let their audiences know that they exist. In the cases where the widget do exist, 
we're looking at between uh, 10 to 22 appointments per week, uh, give or take, for each business. So what made you decide on this strategy, which is to go kind of an indirect way of uh, attracting customers? Well, I always like to learn from those who have come before us. And when I look at, for example, a company like Google, uh, Google got their start in 99 or 2000. And a lot of people for many years didn't even know they existed. But they made their search bar available to all of the other blogs, uh, other websites. Uh, and even Yahoo at one time actually had uh, Google uh, powering their search engine. So today, when you try to get new customers, is, what's the bigger job? Is it to convince somebody to use any kind of appointment um, software, or is it to change from something that they're using today to CrowdClock? Oh, the, the biggest uh, obstacle there is not to convince them to use CrowdClock because uh, once they hear what we do and how we do it, the, the resistance becomes absolutely minimal. And the toughest task at hand is to not convince them to change because we actually sync natively with, uh, with iCal and Google Cal and we're looking to sync with uh, Lotus Notes and Outlook fairly soon. Uh, but the biggest obstacle is to actually have them uh, inform their staff that, hey, this is a new system we're using. You need to, uh, to sign up through us. That's probably the biggest obstacle. So in a in a in a way, your software could be com uh, compared to a marketplace, wouldn't you say? Eventually, it very well might be a marketplace, uh, but right now, because of the limited number of businesses that exist on it, uh, it's not there yet. Because I I have uh, I have interviewed the CEO of Voices.com. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it's pretty much a marketplace for voice actors and businesses and to connect them. Yep. And what I always find is a, a business like that is twice as difficult than, than other businesses because you're basically selling twice as hard, right? Because you need the buyers and you need the sellers. And you need to bring them all together. Uh, in a sense, wouldn't you say that your business is similar to that? Uh, I would say that uh, three, four months ago, I would say absolutely. It was a very chicken and egg situation. You know, who do we convince first? You know, the buyers or the sellers or both at the same time. And because that's a very capital intensive uh, undertaking, we decided to simply go after enterprise customers and do strategic partnerships and really not even bother uh, trying to convince users to come to our platform. That's because when I talk about an enterprise customer, um, they actually get access to our API. They white label it and make it part of their technology offering. So the existing user base that they have who visits our site, they will be exposed to CrowdFox technology without even knowing it. And we still generate revenue that way. That's the approach we've taken and which is why uh, I compared it to what Google was doing initially. So do you think that it's necessary um for that strategy, do you think it's necessary to be part of something like a Y Combinator or somewhere where you have all these investors that have some kind of a contact into those um, those companies to, to make this whole uh, strategy um, a little bit smoother or maybe a little bit less painful? Well, there's, if you look at the statistic of Y Combinator or 500 startups, not all startups that go through that program end up being successes. Um, having said that, though, going through those programs, it absolutely does help. Uh, it, it puts you in touch into different companies, 
allows you access to them. Um, so that, you know, the, the answer is, is it's very simple. Yes, it does help immensely. But at the end of the day, it really depends on uh, execution, whether or not the founders of the company are going to execute correctly moving forward. Okay. Have you tried uh, to to get into any of these uh, incubators? No, we, we actually haven't. Uh, we we do have, I mean, we did apply to uh, Mass Challenge. They, they approached us through AngelList, and uh, we got into the semifinals for it, uh, and I think that's going to happen sometime this week where we're going to present uh, uh, to their panel that's in Boston. Uh, but we're also at a stage where we're fundraising, and unfortunately things are going well. So I doubt that um, we're going to do any type of incubator program because uh, one of the firms that uh, that we're interested in, and they seem to be very interested in us, already have an amazing set of companies in their portfolio that would be ideal partners for CrowdClock. So you're a little bit beyond that point, you think? Then I mean, a lot of people just have kind of an idea when they get to that point, right? And I mean, some some have are, are more advanced. They somehow or they have visitors to their site. They might even have customers. But uh, to a large large degree, they, it's just a bunch of ideas for a lot of people, right? Yeah, a lot of them are, are simple ideas that they need to build. Uh, we're we're definitely not at that stage. We have a product. In fact, we have several products. You know, the widgets. Uh, we even uh, this week we're coming out with a Facebook app. Uh, which will allow any business that has signed up with CrowdClock actually implement the uh, the Facebook app of CrowdClock and their visitors and users will be able to make appointments from the comfort of, of the Facebook page. Um, so we are definitely beyond that, uh, but I wouldn't be so callous as to uh, claim that uh, we're beyond any assistance you know, from, uh, from amazing uh, former entrepreneurs or, or VCs. Um. You uh, on May first, uh, you you posted on Facebook that CrowdClock was relaunched, and is is that uh, what what changed with uh, CrowdClock? Was it just a design, or were some other major changes? What what was what happened to the site? Sure. So um, our old website was a much more just a landing page, more of an informative page that just simply showed a video uh, and allowed business owners to log in. There was no uh, use of it, you know, in terms of users being able to come to the site, being able to make appointments with other businesses, uh, as well as make appointments with their friends as well, because that's one of the features that CrowdClock has. It allows appointment setting to exist between friends. Um, so that, that, that was the major thing that changed, you know, in terms of API development. Uh, and as far as design goes, it completely got overhauled from what it was before. Uh, the previous design was was very stark in color um, and uh, you know harder to to read. Uh, and in my opinion, it wasn't as user friendly uh, of a UI as as we have today because the uh, the feedback we've received so far from all the customers that are using the new one is why wasn't this there when we started signing up uh, with CrowdFlow? So some of the uh, verticals that you're focusing on are, you know, doctors, beauty salons, and so on and so forth. But now, since you know you're trying to go the other way, you're not not at all focusing on these uh, businesses. Just too expensive, or it's just another part of your strategy. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that we're not focusing on it. Uh, we're focusing on it differently. Um, what I mean by that is, 
if we take a look at beauty salons, rather than call each individual beauty salon, by the way, our conversion rate is astronomically high when we do direct sales to SMBs. Uh, it's about 15 to 20%. Uh, but even with that high conversion rate, it still becomes a capital intensive undertaking. Uh, so what we do is, you know, let's say, for example, dentists, uh, you know, a company that we would love to talk to. And in fact, we're looking for some type of leeway in there is 1-800-DENTISTS. Imagine if we could go ahead and partner with them. That would be a strategic partner for us. When it comes to uh, doctors, um, there could be, for example, uh, Sharp Hospital or Scripps Hospital that we could partner with. And then we all of a sudden get access to all the physicians in their network or, you know, similar companies. So that that's our approach. We still very much care about SMBs. Uh, after all, they are our bread and butter. But the way we go about acquiring them is different. Yeah, so the same way it would be with, uh, for example, realtors. You would go to the Century 21s and then push it down to the franchise owners and, and, and so on and so forth instead of going to individual agents. Exactly. Okay, that uh, that makes sense. So tell me about competition. I mean, uh, how is how is CrowdClock different from other products out there and how do you – what do you need to do today to differentiate yourself? What do you think really matters to, to your users? I think the, the number one thing that we're concerned about is, is not our competition per se, um, but the number one thing that, that we're concerned about is to deliver the best product we can uh, to our users. We want it to be extremely user-friendly. We want it to be very simple. Uh, and we want it to be quick because what we're trying to do here is to save people time. And uh, for businesses, it's all about margin optimization. And if we can meet those goals, then we've done our job. Uh, when we look at the competitive landscape, there are a lot of competitors out there. Uh, we're definitely aware of them and we know about them. You know, if, if we look at the medical industry, we look at ZocDoc. Uh, they are very different from CrowdFlock in the sense of they're very focused on, on the medical industry at, at large. So that limits them from going into other verticals. That's the first thing. The second thing that's different between them and us is that they charge, I believe, $3,000 for one year. We charge nothing. We only charge if and when an appointment is made. And the average user of, uh, of ZocDoc is 35 years and younger. And as we know, 35 years and younger is not a good target audience for uh, exposing to medical practitioners because they're that they're not very likely to visit their doctor more than once a year, if even that. If we look at um, other competitors, you know, there's my time. Uh, they're doing a great job, but we see them more as a com direct competitor to Living Social and uh, uh, Groupon. And that's because what they do is they sell deals. Uh, you know, you might see 30% off for a $100 deal and it's sold for $70 on a Tuesday morning at you know, 10 a.m., for example. As a customer, you end up saying, okay, that's great. That's a deal that's 30% off. I'm going to go ahead and buy it. The problem is if you don't show up, it's a little bit ambiguous of what happens to the dollar amount that you paid. The other concern that, uh, that exists there is for the business owner. They're selling a $100 service for $70, and then that $70, 30% of it goes to, the, uh, to my time. So that leaves them with $49. That's a 51% a decrease in, in revenue that they would normally have. Whereas with CrowdClock, none of that would happen. We would simply charge one flat fee for that appointment that was set. 
Have you experimented with different payment models? Uh, you know, instead of just charging for the um, the appointment, uh, maybe have some flat fee and then some. I mean, anything. Have you have you tried anything? Have you considered anything else or not? No, absolutely. We've definitely considered uh, a lot of different models. I mean, with the enterprise customers and strategic partners, we we don't charge per appointment. We actually uh, do um, a custom deal with them. Depending on how many uh, appointments they anticipate, we go ahead and create you know a, a plan that allows them to to be comfortable in knowing exactly how much are being charged every month. SMBs that do sign up with us directly, though, we're we're going to keep with the plan that we have currently, but eventually that that may change uh, the, uh, where it will become in much more favor for them. So. Let's talk about your current marketing strategy in terms of getting partnerships developed and uh, or connecting with these enterprise uh, target uh, target markets. How do you do that? How do you do that? What kind of reach out do you have? How do you build these connections? Or how, you know, what's your strategy on that? So the strategy is is it's not just one strategy, but it's several things that need to be done, in my opinion. Uh, one of the things that we do is we utilize social media quite a lot. And to our surprise, uh, both LinkedIn and uh, Twitter have been great resources for finding amazing leads. That's the first thing. And so you do have to become very active in social media and try to get your name as well as your company's name out there. The other thing that we've utilized is we've attended uh, a lot of networking events. Um, the thing, though, that to keep in mind is a lot of people who attend networking events, they anticipate or they, they're under the belief that things will happen during that one first meeting that uh, they attend. And that's usually not the case. Networking events are places, in my opinion, where you go, you get to know people there, um, and you offer to help them when, when and if they need it. That eventually might turn into something. And in our case, uh, fortunately, uh, that's been true almost every single time where at least you know two or three different uh, opportunities have risen from those uh, events that we've attended. Okay. I I saw that you have I believe 148,000 Twitter followers and 8,000 Facebook likes, is that correct? Yeah, the the crowd, the crosslock followers is uh it's actually been a headache to to be perfectly frank. Um those my my opinion and, and my uh, belief is that most of them are fake. And it's a very annoying story, by the way. Um, what happened was a while ago, we had probably 100 or 250 followers on Twitter. This was like a year or so ago. And all of a sudden, overnight, we jumped to like 27 or 30,000 followers. And the first reaction was like, oh, wow, now, this is amazing. Second reaction was, Hmm, this sounds too good to be true. And so we started, you know, looking through each and every one of these names and we started seeing that most of these were fake. And so we we tried to delete them, you know, manually, which became a very um, labor intensive uh, task. So we went ahead and emailed Twitter and we told them, hey, we think that there's a bunch of fake followers that are following us. God knows why. I have no idea what their agenda is, but I want you to get rid of them. They didn't respond. Um, so we continued trying to delete them, but then we decided to email them again. We emailed them again, and uh, eventually it was taken down to, I think they deemed maybe a 1,000 of them were real. So we got down to a 1,000. And then a while ago, 
we started, we didn't really pay too much attention to that channel as we were focused on building our business up until three or four months ago when we did launch our app. We saw that uh, the Twitter followers had increased to 180 or 190,000. And since then, we've actually manually gone through the process of deleting them. So I think we should be down at 147, 140,000. But it's also a very labor-intensive task because I ended up deleting my own username from following CrowdFox by mistake. So we're going to have to email you know, Twitter again and tell them, look, uh, we know that there's thousands of followers that are real, but we suspect that the majority of them are going to be fake. So please do something about it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, now, it's, 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 it's a nuisance. Uh, and and it, it makes for such bad PR. Well, you know what? It's an impressive number. If somebody just looks at it and and says, "Wow, 148," but I, 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 you know, I thought, you know, maybe you're a, a machine, a social media machine, and you, you got to this number. But uh, you also have 8,000 Facebook likes. What's? I mean, that's a nice number. That's that looks a much more reasonable number. Um, how long did it take you to get those Facebook likes? Are those real likes, or did you have a similar experience with that? Well, you know, I'm not sure whether it's a similar experience or not. Uh, the Facebook likes, I mean, I had most of my friends follow me, but I don't have thousands of friends. Um, a lot of those followers are, are clients of ours, but again, they're not in the thousands. What I suspect is that at one time we were entertaining a few different uh, development firms outside of the United States, you know, specifically India, uh, Romania, uh, Ukraine, and Russia. What I suspect is that in that process, one of them or a few of them actually started following Crowdfuck and it became like a, like a fad. Okay, let's follow them you know, so that we can show how interested we are in working with Crowdfuck. We ended up actually not hiring any of those firms. Uh, all, our entire team is actually in-house. Um, both our co-founders, you know, all three of my co-founders, as well as people who work with us. The only person who is really an outsourced person is our designer. Uh, but that's because he, he does freelance work for a lot of different firms. I don't know how to delete the, what I suspect are you know, not really good leads because there are some of them that are seen, they're based in Turkey, India, and it just doesn't make sense because we're not in those countries, at least not yet. Yeah, um, you know, I, sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. So, but I, I appreciate the explanation. I want to get back to about just running a business uh, on a daily basis and talk about motivation because. Uh, a lot of times when you start out, it's really, really hard, and you feel like nobody really cares. And how do you, how do you stay motivated? How do you keep your team motivated? What works for you? Well, uh, what works for me doesn't work for everyone. Um, I, I think the first thing that, that comes to mind when I wake up, and, and I eat, sleep, dream, cross talk, you know, and, and that's because I drink my own Kool-Aid more than likely. But when I wake up, the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, what is it you're doing and why are you doing it? And if the answer is what I seek, I know exactly what I need to do. Now, if I feel you know, down or if I feel that I haven't had enough wins this week or, or, this, you know, or the past few days, um, 
one kind of corny thing that I do is I go on YouTube and I, and I look up motivational speeches. Um, and this is something new that I've started. And, you know, I'd listen to it for maybe 20 minutes and it helps. Um, you know, some people, and, you know, I know one of my co-founders, he, he would probably laugh at it because he's very pragmatic in his method of thinking. But for someone like me, it, it totally works. I mean, it does its trick. Now, this is your second business, and uh, you know, I want to ask about being efficient with your time. What do you think has been a waste of time for you as an entrepreneur? If you could take, I mean, time is, you know, you just can't really replace it with anything. So, if you could go back, what would you change to be more efficient as an entrepreneur? I think one of the things that would change is rather than having studied literature and writing, I would have studied computer science or, or minded in computer science. Because many times when when we were building this um, and it came to the coding part, I understand a little bit of it, but not enough where I can code. I felt that those times were were definitely high points of frustrations where if something went wrong in the code base, I couldn't really fix it. And so that that was a, a huge point of frustration for me. So I set out to to really do other things within the company. You know, I, I would create wireframes, even though I'm not a designer. I would uh, look to other companies that I that I admired and, and felt, okay, what can we do that uh, to apply to our strategy? How can we uh, make ourselves different? What is it that that we can build? And so I focused on everything but the actual coding aspect. But many times I did feel like. I should have studied computer science so that I could help with the coding aspect of it. If uh, if somebody came to you, maybe a friend or somebody from uh, your family, and they had a job, but they you know they saw you and they got inspired somehow, what would you teach that person to be successful as an entrepreneur? What do you think is the most important thing for that person to know? I think the most important thing to know is not how good your idea is, but how well you execute it. Because at the end of the day, everything comes down to execution. You can have the most ide- best idea ever since sliced bread, but if you're unable to execute it, you're going to fail. Okay. Uh, do you have one book maybe that either helps you with crowd clock or just as an entrepreneur? Well, there are several books. One that I would really recommend is a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. And one of the things that it says in the book, uh, which I find very interesting, is it's not always about who comes first to market. Because when you're first to market with your idea, then you have the task of trying to educate your, your potential marketplace of what you're trying to do. And in many ways, that is exactly what we were trying to do with Videonary. This was in 2005. High-speed internet was not what it is today. Video was not compressed as it is today. Mobile devices did not exist as they exist today. I mean, if you look at what Google is doing today, they're now taking photos from inside of businesses. We were doing videos inside businesses back in 2005. So that what, what that taught me was it's not always about being first or being way ahead of the curve, but it's about what exists, what's come before you, and how are you going to execute it? That's, that's great. Uh, I mean, I hear that all the time, that uh, 
some people think that you really have to have that original idea. And I talk to so many successful entrepreneurs and they actually want already competition before they enter a field. They actually are searching for competition because it just tells them, you know, there is a market there. So on that note, how can people connect with you? Uh, they can follow me on on Twitter, uh, which is uh, my handle is at Yashar A, Y-A-S-H-A-R-A. Um, or they can uh, go ahead and shoot me an email. Uh, my email is my first name, Yashar at com, and I'll be more than happy to, to talk to people. So everyone out there, check out crowdclock.com. Yashar, thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your story with us. Absolutely. Thank you so very much, George. I appreciate your time. Thank you.